1: And enjoy the show.
2: Of the mind. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 1, Episode 7. I'm your master of ceremonies, G. M. Danielson.
1: Hear
2: it, Simply Scary. We are true animal lovers. No, really, we are. We have pet dogs, cats, fish, and even some of the more exotic sorts of pets, like snakes, chameleons, interns, and of course, Jesse's special crypt of zombies and zombie body parts. All of them are so close to us that they are practically part of the family. Well, except for the interns and Jesse's zombie crypt. They keep us company, they're loyal, and they demand little from us. Again, except for the interns. But there's always a chance they could regress to a stage where they become feral, frightened, dangerous creatures that we should think twice about having in our homes. This definitely applies to the interns. Do you still find it hard to believe that your cute, cuddly Mr. Puddles could harbor a dark side? Well, after experiencing the stories in this episode of the Simply Scary Podcast, you won't be sure what to believe about your animal friends anymore. Who can guess which seemingly normal living things will turn out to be anything but ordinary? In tonight's Creature Feature While we clean out the proverbial litter box we'll share this brief message so stay where you are.
3: You can help support the Simply Scary Podcast by becoming a patron at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com Take the tour now at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash tour. Help us turn off the lights and turn on the dark.
2: Now that's out of the way, and in the middle of the yard, we'll release these ferocious stories. It is a routine Tuesday night for the zookeepers at the local menagerie. Just do the rounds, check the animals, and that will be that. But soon, they uncover a peculiar affliction affecting the animals they're taking care of. An oddity that is spreading. There's something strange in the eyes of the animals, and something lurking in their shadows. Jason Hill takes us on a safari in Andrew Harmon's Lions and Tigers
4: and Bears. The night started so smoothly. It was Tamale Tuesday and Hector's week to bring the chow. Hector's shift started an hour earlier than mine, so I didn't see him when I passed Steve at the time clock just inside the security shack. Steve punched out and tossed me his keys, not bothering to update me on anything. It's a zoo. We're here after hours. What could he update me on anyway? Maybe the hyenas were looking suspicious. When didn't they? I grabbed walkie-talkie number eight from the cabinet and checked the batteries. The static hissed when I tapped the talk button. The beam of my mag light swept across the open doorway of the security shack. You, uh, out there, Hector? I spoke into walkie-talkie number eight. Hey, roger that, Hector said. Hector was Guatemalan, so the the in that took on more of a duh sound under the influence of his accent. You got the goods? I asked. Break room fridge. Poyol on green chilies tonight, Holmes. You the man, Hector. I grinned. What's your 1020? Lizard hut. All right, I'm gonna go walk grasslands. The staff entrance was on the north side of the park, same side as General Admission, only about 200 yards further west. When I left the small square office, I almost immediately plunged into the winding paths of the aquatic center. The prominent sound rising above the chirp of crickets and the lilt of the wind rustling through the pathside gardens was the waterfall on the polar bear exhibit. A rush of blue water raced off the high faux cliff above the enclosure and crashed into the 30-foot depths of the polar bear's pool. The polar bears were among the few animals allowed to sleep outside. After hours, when we guards worked, a majority of the animals were bedded down in the sleeping compartments at the rear of the enclosures. As I passed by the pin, I could hear Sasha, the largest of the three polar bears, snuffling and grumbling in her sleep. I paused to lean against the railing of the enclosure. Jax and Rory, the younger bears, sat on their hinds, flanking the sleeping Sasha, and stared off into the night. Their heads turned, slowly, small ears flicking around at the slightest noise. Now, I'm not an animal keeper, but I can tell when something's spooked. These two look pretty spooked. Probably just saw a raccoon scavenging around at the trash cans. There's one thing I know about ferocious predators, is that once they've grown accustomed to captivity, well, they kind of become wimps. Big wimps. I walk past the empty stonescape at the penguin exhibit, past the calm pool where the sea lions spent their afternoons rolling around on their bellies and clapping their fins for the children, hoping for just one more trick and one more fish from the trainer's hands. Past that was the large dome of the aquatic center where zoo patrons descended into the underground tunnels to view penguins and walruses and polar bears diving down into the deep water. I knew that Steve always does a walkthrough of the dome before ending his shift, so I don't bother patrolling the interior too often on my shift. The doors were locked after hours anyway, so no one could sneak in. I came out of the aquatics area onto the main walkway, which zipped up the center of the zoo and split into two paths at the concessions area. Here, all the large umbrellas were folded down and stuck up like pikes out of the centers of round white tables. I took the path to the left of the Dippin' Dots stand towards the grasslands. This path was lined with skinny poplar trees that blinded visitors in the maintenance roads that wound along the border of the grasslands. Now and then, a break in the trees would give me glimpses of the largest exhibits in the zoo. Here, zebras and gazelles roamed freely with cassowaries and bristling porcupines. Since this area was so large and inhabited by multiple species, these animals were allowed to sleep outside as well. I froze in my tracks when I spotted something between the scraggly branches of the two browning poplar trees. In one corner of the exhibit, a shadow bolted across the grass. A cassowary let out a shrill shriek nearby, followed by a peculiar clicking sound. I pushed between the two trees but could go no further than the chain fence that separated the visitor's path from the service road. I had just enough of a view to see two black lumps slumped over near the adjacent edge of the enclosure. One of the shadows lifted its head in my direction, and a pair of burning, red eyes reflected back at me. I reached for the maglite at my belt, but by the time I had lifted the beam to illuminate the enclosure, the red-eyed creature had scurried out of sight. Still, the cassowary that had screamed and clicked was sitting in the grass with its legs folded beneath it. At first... I thought it was dead. After a few moments passed, the bird lifted its blue head and stared back at me. It was seemingly unfazed. I turned off my flashlight. Cassiary stared at me from the dark field, its eyes shining the same blood red as the creature I hadn't gotten a look at. The piercing crimson gaze made me shiver. I paged Hector on the walkies. These animals have crazy eyes tonight, or is it just me? They're animals, Gringo. Hector answered. They all got the crazy eyes. I don't know, man. I watched the cassowary stand up as I held down the talk button. It stood tall. Didn't move. I, uh, I guess I'm just creeping myself out. Homie, I just smoked a spliff behind the monkey house. Hector wheezed. Everything's creeping me out right now. Jesus, you couldn't bother to call me, I said. Sorry, amigo, only enough for one. I sighed and continued down the path through the grasslands. The slight cloud cover that had been blurring out the full moon receded, and the dark of the park became bright enough for me to see into the enclosures without my flashlight. Like I said, most of them were empty, so my view was mostly of flat, grassy fields, rocks, ferns, and the occasional city squirrel dashing from garden to garden. There was only one other exhibit in the grasslands that let the animals roam freely at night. The hyenas. I hated the hyenas. They cackled and colluded as I approached the railing outside of their cage. I watched the group of nocturnal miscreants skulking around in the shadows of their enclosure, shoulders slumped, heads held low, sniffing the soil and yipping at one another. I leaned against the fence and counted them. One, two, three, four, five hyenas. Six? Hector. I buzzed on walkie number eight. Did they uh, get a new hyena? Hey, hell of I know. Those things freak me out. I didn't usually make a point of counting the animals, but overnight security isn't exactly the most exciting career, so you find yourself doing the most mundane things to pass the time. And I was sure that even last night, there had only been five hyenas. The largest of the six was at the back of the enclosure, farthest away from me. It slinked along like the others, though its shambling seemed unlike the rest. I couldn't put my finger on why. While the movements of the other five seemed smooth and organic, this larger one shook and trembled. Maybe it was sick. That would explain why the other five would have nothing to do with it. While they charged one another and nipped at each other's hind legs, this one seemed to be kept at arm's length from the rest of the pack. I raised my flashlight and shined it at the hunched back mutts. One at a time, their heads perked up, turned towards the source of the light beam. Their eyes, evolved for night vision, shined green in the light. Except for the large one. The large one in the back paid no attention to me. But as his head swept back and forth with each step, its eyes would flash red. Damn! Hector yelped over the walkie. My body stiffened; I nearly dropped my mag light. What's going on, Hector? Talk to me! I stepped in horse crap back at the damn stable. Man. I slid my flashlight back into its holster on my belt and turned from the hyenas. Clearly, there was nothing going on in the grasslands. There was nothing going on anywhere in this park. There never had been, and there probably never would be. Steve once caught a couple of teenagers trying to scale the wall into the elephant exhibit, but... Well, that was about as criminal as the zoo gets. As I walked out of the grasslands, I looked back out onto the large expanse of green where the zebras and gazelles were kept. In the corner stood the cassuary. Same spot as when I had first come by. It's... Red eyes followed me as I passed. It skeeved me out. M- maybe I'm wrong to go Captain Ahab on a bird, but... I wanted to punch it right in its stupid beak. With the grasslands returned to the head of the main path, I found one of the pretzel carts the concessions hub had been knocked over. Coarse salt and pepper baskets were strewn across the pavement. A stack of napkins was scattering in the wind and were littered all around the picnic tables. Hey, Hector, you stoner. I called to him. You trying to steal pretzels? Oh, no way, man. I'm way too dry for pretzels. Man. He joked. Well, you made a damn mess over here at concessions, I said. I ain't been over to concessions. Man. He replied. You expect me to believe the wind knocked this card over? I asked. Oh, man, your security. Sure you ought to figure it out. Hector, your security too. Yeah, well, right now I'm security over by the farm animals. You're security over by concessions. I huffed right the cart and made sure that the folding-up umbrella was held straight in its brace. There was a storage closet between the restrooms, and I went to grab a broom. The salt and the baskets I could handle, but walking around to pick up all those napkins was going to be a headache. Nonetheless... I did it. What else was there to do? It was a solid 20 minutes before I was even close to dawn when a roar shook the park. It was coming from the jungle section. I dropped the broom immediately and jogged off in the direction of the sound. Through my heavy breath, I managed to call out to Hector on the walkie. You hear that? Yeah. You going to check it out, Gringle? On my way, I answered. I'll meet you there. I followed the sound to its source in the tiger's cage. The yellow cone of my maglite combed through every corner of the enclosure, but it was empty. Nonetheless, fierce snarling and the sound of gnashing teeth split the silence of the jungle district. Hector came walking briskly up the path a few minutes later, but I had nothing to tell him. I just shrugged, gestured toward the tiger's pen. Hey, they, uh, squoing in there or something? Hector asked. "'Sounds rough,' I said. Hector climbed up onto the middle rung of the fence and leaned against the iron bars of the cage, reaching his flashlight into the cage. This was something we were told to never do, but I didn't stop him. His own flashlight beam joined mine in the search and eventually came to rest on the black hole at the back of the den. This is the small area in which the animals bit it down at night, but it should have been locked. Instead, the door had swung open feral bedlam was emanating from inside. Should we, uh, close it? Hector said from atop the railing. Uh, I ain't going in there, I said. I turned off my flashlight and grabbed my scratch pad to make a note. I would let the morning folks know about the unsecured tiger den, but there wasn't anything I could do about it tonight. I was in the middle of scribbling the word tiger when a familiar sound ticked in my ear. Clicking like an insect's mandibles patiently clapping over a meal. Hector started to climb down back to the path and was about to say something when the ferns and the tiger's den clamored. Both of our heads swiveled around in time to see an inky blur race across the enclosure towards us, its black body permeating the iron bars like murky water through a grate and dart just over Hector's head. Hector cursed. My head snapped around to follow the shadow as it disappeared into the cinnamon trees across the path. Their scraggly heads flailed and the trunk shook, sending down a slurry of flaky tree bark and filled the air with the scent of spice. What the hell was that? Hector cried. He was rubbing the side of his head as if he had been slugged. Uh, no clue, man, I said. Let's get out of here. We didn't leave immediately, though. We were frozen in place, watching the stillness of the cinnamon trees until we were certain we were alone. We stuck together for the remainder of the night, patrolling only near the entrance of the zoo and sinking most of our time into recounting the tale to one another in the guard shack. We hadn't even touched the tamales Hector's wife had sent with him. Just before dawn, an hour after Hector went home, I was standing by the time clock with my punch card. I peered out from the guard shack and into the aquatic center. Sasha and Jax were nowhere to be seen in the polar bear pool. But Rory sat right where I had seen her at the beginning of the shift, resting on her haunches in the middle of the island rock, staring at the sky. I squinted to get a better look. Rory's head turned slowly to meet my gaze, and her eyes were piercing red. The following night, Steve tossed me his keys and pointed to a memo hanging on the wall of the guard shack. I nodded and grabbed walkie-talkie number eight from the rack, checking the batteries before I strapped it to my belt. It was a few minutes before ten o'clock, but Steve punched out and took off without a word. He seemed tense. I stood in front of the memo by the door and expected the worst. It read, "'Attention all employees. Several of the animals have been acting strangely today, and we ask for your assistance in making them as comfortable and stress-free as possible. A number of the animals in the grasslands, jungle, and aquatic sections have refused food and any interaction.' Some factors that could create these issues include stress, sickness, and abuse. We ask all employees, regardless of job title, to keep an eye out for any agitators that could be inducing or exacerbating these episodes. Please report any strange findings to park management and escort belligerent guests out of the park if you witness any abuse of the animals. Night staff, please refrain from use of flashlights around the nocturnal animals and keep cell phone ringers silenced. We appreciate your understanding in this matter and thank you for your cooperation. Management. Hector and I knew that something strange was going on, but what exactly could we report? Yes, Mr. Manager, we believe that a red-eyed shadow monster is attacking the animals. Oh no, it doesn't unlock the cages. It can move through the bars. Yes, of course. I'm sane. Sir. I set my flashlight down on the desk. I wouldn't be able to use it anyway. Leaning back, I peered out the narrow doorway at Aquatics. There, sat Rory in the center of the rock island, parked on her rear with her head turned towards me. Her glowing red eyes blinked twice, then turned back towards the blank sky. Uh, Hector? I said into the walkie-talkie. Hey there, gringo. He replied, his voice sullen. How's it uh, going? I asked. Half a minute must have passed before he responded. Not good. These animals are all acting weird. Like you said, even the lizards, they have red eyes. You at the lizard hut? Yes. I grabbed a pen off the desk in my notepad. If these animals were one by one being turned into red-eyed monsters... I was going to at least make a note of it. I started in aquatics, sauntering slowly around the meandering pathways. Item one on the list. Polar bears, times three. Affected, times one. I stopped by their pool and leaned over the railing to make out the figures in the dark. Though Rory sat center stage in the island, Sasha and Jax were huddled on the opposite rock ledge, avoiding her. None of the three made a peep. All I heard was the waterfall rushing off the rocks and churning up the otherwise smooth surface of the pool. The rest of the above-ground pens were empty this time of night, but to be sure my count was accurate, I would have to go into the dome. The keys jingled on my hip with every step I took towards the iron double doors to the dome. It had been a while since I had went inside, so it took me a few tries to find the correct key. Once I entered, I descended the wide flight of stairs into the underground tunnel, all of it completely dark, apart from a few maintenance lights in the corners of the rooms. The first room I entered in the dome was a large, round area, the center of which held a twenty-foot-long shallow pool. Small sharks, maybe a foot and a half at their largest, circled and weaved under the water. The dark blue walls of the dome were covered in paintings of sharks showing their comparative sizes to varying species and also to the average human. The average human painting stood in front of the shark size chart, waving nonchalantly, despite the stack of eight shark species lined up beside him. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary here, so I continued into a tunnel towards the next room. This area was slightly smaller, and its walls were lined in tanks. Octopi, jellyfish, eels, anglerfish, you name it. It was hovering around in its own personal aquarium where columns of little bubbles danced up from the rocky floor towards the water's surface far above. Three glass pillars stood in the center of the room, illuminated from the floor and the ceiling by purple and blue LEDs. In these pillars waved stalks of seaweed and tiny seahorses congregated amongst their leaves. I stood in the center of the three pillars and studied the miniature seahorses carefully. I reached a single finger up to the glass as if to tap on the rim of their world when a loud crash in the next room made me stiffen and suck in a sharp breath. I darted down the next tunnel and plunged into complete darkness of the next room. For some reason, the dim yellow maintenance bulbs had burnt out and all I could hear in the opaque black was the sound of aquarium filters gurgling in the walls. An eerie chill crept up my spine... My fingers were trembling. I felt a presence in the room. Now of course there were undoubtedly many presences in the room, being that I stood in a zoo full of living creatures, but this was different, this was distinct. This was a chilling presence, and I felt its eyes on me. I turned round and round frantically, searching for the gaze that I knew would confront me. I grabbed my walkie and pushed the talk button, but the static on the speaker cut in and out. The weak signal was not enough to penetrate to the surface from the depths of the dome. My breathing was ragged. Why, why didn't I bring Hector along? I was resolved to retreat to the previous room, to recuperate the light, until I either gathered the courage to continue or cower back up the stairs. But as I turned, I was greeted by... Red eyes, floating in the dark. A short six feet from my left side. They burned bright. They were unwavering. They stared through me, meeting my gaze and into the back of my skull. My spine calcifying into a stiff rod, and my neurons firing off alternating sparks of adrenaline. Fight, flee, fight, flee, fight, flee, move, do something. But I was frozen, staring into those red eyes. He drifted closer. Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata played in the key of crappy M.I.D.I. player from my pocket. My cell phone buzzed and growled. I had forgotten to silence the ringer. As the harsh, tinny tone shattered the silence of the room, it was met with a raspy hiss. The red eyes reeled back. I took off in a flash down the next hallway, feet slapping on the carpet towards the light of the next maintenance lamp. The hissing settled behind me, but I did not feel I was being pursued. I plunged into the next tunnel and took out my phone to answer. It was Hector. When he didn't get a response from me on the walkie-talkie, he started to freak out and called my cell instead. Thank God he did. you got to get over to the aviary, Ming. Hector said. He sounded desperate. Meet me here. I told him I would, and sprinted through the rest of the tunnels. Terror unfolded with each step. I passed by the large glass window in front of the macaroni penguins. The whole dozen of them were standing motionless on the rocks, their eyes a piercing red and their heads turned towards the ceiling. In the next room I could see the pair of walruses floating a bumpy at the surface, their heads protruding from the water and tilted to the sky. I burst out of the exit of the dome, gasping for fresh air, and stared at the moon for the comfort of what light it could give the darkness was cloistering the silence of the zoo truly petrified me for the first time in my years working security hey you are uh, you coming man hector said i heard a shrill commotion in the background i'm on my way i said and unlocked myself from fear the aviary was near the lizard hut just down the path from aquarics before i continued i grabbed my notebook and jotted down penguins times all affected walruses times all affected I was jogging through the zoo by this point, to the right of the path of the short hill upon which sat three tortoises, all renowned for being over eighty years old. Older in fact than the zoo itself, all three of them stood motionless on their stubby legs, their heads raised feebly towards the sky, their eyes shining that same haunting red. As I neared the aviary, I could already hear why Hector had called me over. The birds were flipping out. The squawking and screeching and shrieking rose to such a shrill cacophony that I almost had to cover my ears to stop them from ringing. Hector waved his arms in a broad arch from the front of the mesh coliseum. Behind him, leafless trees reached up in a tangled crosshatch of branches, ropes hung down from the branches dangling down bird feeders stuffed with seeds and dried fruits. There was a smell of death that faintly irradiated from inside the aviary. This was the odor of dead rodents, which had been torn to shreds and picked clean of meat by the hawks and falcons that shared the same enclosure. Look, Hector pointed up towards the fifty-foot curved ceiling of the wire dome. A circus of birds were wheeling around and flailing against the ceiling. They were dashing themselves against the wire cage. I watched as a hornbill flapped its wings feverishly, swooped down in a tight arch, and veered back up towards the sky. It smashed into the wire mesh with a thud and stuck there, wings thrashing desperately in a ball of shed feathers. What... what are they doing, man? Hector asked, his voice cracking. He may have been crying, but it was too dark to tell. They're trying to kill themselves or something. I had a hunch. I backed up far enough that I could get a shallower angle looking at them. and Sure enough... Panicked bird's eyes were alight with a fiery crimson. I sat down right there on the pavement and stared at my shoes. Hector threw his arms out to his sides, wondering what the hell I was doing. He said something, but the words were lost in the racket of the bird's cries. They're possessed, I muttered. What? Hector asked and came closer. They're frickin' possessed, I nearly shouted the words. By what? Hector asked. I don't know, man, I said. Whatever the hell was we saw last night, the thing that came out of the tiger's den. I pulled out my notepad and updated the count. Tortoises times three, birds times... several. I read the list to Hector. He added a few that he found. Crocodiles, all affected. Horses, all affected. Hyenas, all affected. And that was just the animals that were left outside at night. Who knew how long the list would grow if we ventured into the dens where the animals slept after hours? Hector helped me back to my feet and we agreed to return to the guard shack. To cower in the safety of our offices until dawn, no longer bothering to count animals, to investigate the red-eyed shadows that plagued the zoo. Once we returned to the guard shack, though, an idea sprung up. I swung open the equipment closet beside the walkie-talkie pack and pulled down an old trail cam from the top shelf. There's nothing fancy, just an old motion sensor camera with night vision that we had used a few years back to capture a particularly cunning escaped python. Uh, What are we uh, going to do with that? Hector asked. Find out what the heck we saw last night, I said. What has been possessing all these animals and causing them to go crazy with creepy eyes? We agreed that we would need bait. We would need an animal that had not already been affected by, well, whatever it was that had been running amok around the park. By this point, we couldn't name any that were left outside at night that hadn't already been attacked. Hector scratched his head. He suggested we take one of the inside sleeping animals out, but but what animal would be tame enough for two night security guards to lead out into the open? Half an hour later, we had the trail cam set up in the southwestern corner of the zoo, the farm animals. In the center of an intersection where two of the pathways met, Hector stood with a ten-foot length of rope, the other end of which was looped around the neck of Catherine, the spotted cow. Why, screw this, man. Why do I gotta be the bait? Hector said into the walkie. I was sitting in the office watching the trail cam through the computer monitor. I answered, You're not the bait, Catherine is. This thing is going after animals, not us. You sure about that, man? Hector asked, his voice sullen. Shh, I said. The trail cam had a small microphone, and I heard a strange sound approaching. On the monitor, Hector turned this way and that way, desperately trying to find out where the noise was coming from. It was the slow, clip-clop, clip-clop of hooves on the cement. With every few steps, a dull bell would sound. What the hell is that? Hector whined into the walkie. It sounds like... I strained my eyes trying to see something in the grainy night vision. A cow. Behind Hector, a bulky shadow emerged from the darkness on the path. Hector was still twisting all around in search of the noise, but I could see it clearly in the splotchy green night vision. It was... in fact a cow. "'It's a cow, Hector,' I said. "'What?' he asked. That was the last question I heard him mutter before the bovine shadow behind him erupted. Its bulky, round body burst into a flurry of flailing tendrils. They slithered across the ground, the tip of them raised like the poised heads of cobras. From the center of the miasma, a pair of eyes flared bright.' I heard Hector scream. The cow wailed. The black swarm engulfed them both, tendrils of shadows whipping the air. Hector cried out for help. Catherine's hooves stomped feverishly against the concrete. Then, click, 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 the clicking started. The amorphous mass of black shivered and pulsed. I grabbed my flashlight and flew off into a sprint from the office. The night air whizzed by my ears, deafening me to the sound of chirping crickets. The crash of the waterfall diving down into the polar bear pool. The sound of my own boots clapping on the ground. I wound my way up through the aquatics up the Bane Path, split off to the right of the dip and dot stand, and burst through the wrought iron archway at the entrance of the farm animals. In the center of the intersection, where we set up the camera, Hector and Catherine were standing, untouched by the shadows I'd seen on the monitor. Hector? I called out. I got no response. You, uh... you okay, Heck? I asked. Silence. I circled around the edges of the pavement, keeping my distance. As I rounded in front of Hector, my heart stopped. He and Catherine stood motionless together. Their heads were tilted back. Flaming red radiated in their eyes. Oh, no. Oh, Hector, no. I moaned. This could go on no longer. I grabbed my cell phone and proceeded to dial 911. I had no idea what was wrong with Hector, but maybe a hospital could do something for him. Maybe it was just some new illness that jumped species. Maybe it was a parasite. The phone rang, and a voice answered, asking what my emergency was. But I could not answer. Because above me, the clouds had parted like the Red Sea. And from behind them shined such a brilliant light that I couldn't help but stare in awe at the pulsating glow. A ring of them spun and danced in the sky, red lights glimmering like sirens. I glanced over at Hector and Catherine... The red in their eyes was flashing on, off, on, off, on, off. Their eyes blinked like morris code as if they were communicating with the dancing lights in the sky. I looked around me at the park. Red glows were flashing in unison from everywhere inside the zoo. I backed away from Hector and the cow cautiously. What do I remember next? Not much. An explosion of light. The sound of objects whirring by at high speeds. A smell like when something gets caught in a vacuum and burns out the motor. Then, dawn. Waking up on the cold pavement, trying to explain to the GM where all his damn animals went. Explaining to Hector's wife over the phone that he probably wouldn't be coming home. I remember the bewildered stares and awkward silence I was greeted with whenever I tried to explain what happened. Most of all, I remember that last moment before the flash when I glanced down at Hector, and his head turned to me, and his red glowing eyes blinked twice, and he smiled.
2: say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So, when in a zoo filled with cursed animals, well, I'm sure you can figure out the rest. But time for us to take a moment, for Nature Calls, with a brief message. We'll return, and we'll introduce you to a very special bird indeed. Indeed.
1: Uh, I uh, thought I heard something. Daylightdims.com Man, the voices are a little louder than usual today. Go to Daylightdims.com uh, Go to Daylightdims.com? Yes. Do, Do I have to draw you a map? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> Can I help you with some? Yes, you can go to daylightdims.com to get the Daylight Dim Story Collection volume 2, or you can get it on amazon.com. Wait a minute, is this a commercial? Who is this? Oh, come on guy, I, I get commission off this. Fine. Jeez, I'll go to daylightdims.com and get the Daylight Dim Story Collection volume 2. Is there anything else? Ah, yeah. Do you validate parking? Good grief.
2: Well, you have stayed with us. So, we'll reward you with another creature tale. That's T-A-L-E, of course. You never know where a parrot like Perry is going to pick up the phrases it repeats. Birds like Perry live long lives and harbor a unique talent most other creatures in the animal kingdom lack. It is an amazing gift when an animal can talk, even if it is mere mimicry. But what Perry starts to say one day will make you shudder and wonder who he has been talking to. Kristen Holland gives a thrilling recitation of UnsettlingStories.com author Max Allen's Beneath Our Feet.
5: I have an African grey parrot named Perry. He's been part of the family for 25 years. I've known him my whole life. When my parents were alive, they taught him a bunch of words and phrases, and he'd always make us laugh. Lately, though, he's been saying things we never taught him. Certainly not things we'd ever say, either. Nancy, my wife, was in the kitchen with her friends the other day, when they all heard Perry squawk, It bathes in tears and rains beneath our feet. They all laughed and wondered what the hell I could have been watching on TV for the birds to pick up a phrase like that. They continued their lunch. But ten minutes later, Perry started again. It rains beneath our feet! It rains beneath our feet! It rains beneath our feet! Then he squawked and screamed and rattled his cage so hard that he almost fell off the table. Nancy checked to see if he was okay, and he chirped and allowed her to stroke his head with a finger. He seemed no worse for wear. That night, after I'd gotten home and Nancy had told me about Perry's weirdness, I let him out of his cage to fly around the house. He was always well-behaved and never knocked anything off shelves or shit on things we cared about. He stepped out of the cage and under the table. But he didn't take off. He just stood there, looking around. Go ahead, Perry, I coaxed. Go get some exercise. He remained stationary, but he watched me the pupils wide in his beige eyes. "'You okay, buddy?' I asked. I was concerned for the little guy. He'd always been in great health and never acted weird. This was entirely unlike him. Perry cocked his head and stared into my eyes. For some reason, I felt a chill run down my spine, even before he spoke, almost like I knew he was about to frighten me. In a deep tone, I'd never heard from him in all my years He uttered,
1: BENEATH YOUR FEET.
5: Something knocked on the floor directly below where I was standing. I jumped about a mile and stepped away from the bird who hadn't moved. STILL BENEATH YOUR FEET. The knock came again. It was a hundred times louder and so powerful, my ankle twisted under me and I fell sideways under the couch. The floorboards where I'd been standing bulged upward. One had cracked. Nancy came running downstairs asking, What the hell was that? I told her to go in the kitchen and call the police. Someone was in the cellar. Nancy and I waited by the door for the police to arrive. They got there quickly. We let them in, and they went into the basement. A couple minutes later, they came back up. No one's there, they told us. Wait, then what? The older cop cut us off. Can you come look at something with us? Okay, Nancy said. But what is it? Just come downstairs. We followed the cops into the basement. Neither Nancy nor I go down there very often. I was a little embarrassed by how gross and dusty it was, until I saw marks in the dust-covered floor and countertops. Are those footprints? I asked, more to myself than to anyone around. That's what we thought. "'said the younger officer. "'But they look pretty weird for footprints.' "'We got to the part of the cellar "'that was under where I'd been standing. "'The cops aimed their flashlights "'at the wood above our heads. "'An indentation was clearly visible. "'It almost looked like a punch, "'but the shape wasn't of any hand we'd ever seen. "'It looked like it had too many knuckles, "'too many bones. "'What the hell?' "'I traced my finger over the indentations.' I shivered. Upstairs, Perry squawked. The floorboards around the indentation began to leak. Liquid dripped into my mouth and I spotted. It was salty and reminded me of the taste you get after crying for a long time. Did something spill upstairs? The older cop asked. Yeah, maybe the bird knocked something over. Is that him making all that noise? I nodded. He's been weird all day. We headed back upstairs and the cops told us to call if we have any other concerns about someone being in our house. Nancy and I thanked them and they left. I stared at the damage to the living room floor. Perry hadn't knocked anything over, but there was a small puddle on the wood. He'd gone back into his cage and sat in the corner, quietly clucking. I approached the cage. There were little wet footprints around it. They were his prints. It looked like he might have lapped up some of the water that had been on the floor while we were in the cellar. What's going on, bud? You having a rough day? I tried not to think about what had happened. There had to be a reason for it. Maybe the wood had warped. The basement's always been damp and gross. That had to be it. The wood warped and trap moisture was dripping out of the fracture point. But then there was Perry. Perry stared at the bottom of the cage, still clucking. He didn't look up. I reached out to pet his head, but he struck my finger with his beak, not hard enough to do any damage, but with enough force to let me know he wanted none of my affection. I looked at my pet with sympathy, wondering if he was just getting old and losing his mind. He remained in the corner, trembling slightly. Something caught my eye. There was red on the cage where he was sitting. I looked closer. It was blood. What happened, Perry? I asked, and reached inside to pick him up, knowing I was in for a pecking. Before I could grab him, he spoke in that same, chilling voice. It will will be the bottom Christmas day. He paused, then slowly spoke. 27 days. I picked up my bird to see how badly he was hurt, but before I could assess his wound, I saw what was in the corner where he was sitting. Something... Entirely unexpected. Perry, my male African grey parrot, had been sitting on a bloody black egg. It's been 24 hours since all this started. Perry seems no worse for wear, but he fights whenever we try to pick him up. He does everything he can to remain by the egg. I don't know what's happening to him, and I have no idea what he means with any of the stuff he's saying. Whenever he talks now, it's just 26 days, followed by the word hours. The number of hours keeps going down. And I haven't heard it, but Nancy swears she hears soft knocking coming from the basement each time Perry makes his announcements.
2: So, like a famous pricing game MC used to say, it's very important to spay and neuter your pets. After all, halting unhindered animal reproduction could be a matter of survival. After one final important message, we'll bring you up to date on the latest information in the world of the Simply Scary Podcast.
1: If you enjoyed Max Aaron's story, Beneath Our Feet, be sure to go to UnsettlingStories.com after the show to enjoy some of the most horrific stories found online. UnsettlingStories.com. Bring the night.
2: Thank you for sticking with us through the break. And now it's time for announcements from the world of the Simply Scary Podcast and our affiliates. If you enjoyed Beneath Our Feet, you can find more of Max Aaron's creepy literary nocturnes at unsettlingstories.com or get his story collection Transfigurations for even more frightful fun. We'll include a link to the Transfiguration's Amazon page in the show notes and you will be able to find more information about Max on our authors page in the About drop-down menu under Authors at simplyscarypodcast.com Let us also remind you to contribute through our Patrons area and you can receive high-quality copies of all the audio productions from Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and help us create more nightmares. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons on the top of the page or go to chillingtalesfordarknights.com forward slash patrons to sign up today. If you're a horror author and would like your stories to be adapted into high-quality audiobooks to help you frighten new audiences... Send a message to contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and we'll make sure to give your story or stories a professional production at a reasonable rate. If you think your story is worthy of being featured on our podcast, send it to simplyscarypodcast.com forward slash submit a story and we'll see if you have what it takes to scare even the most hardened Simply Scary listeners. And now it is time for our traditional reading of the reviews to determine the winner of something dreadfully wonderful from Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and the Simply Scary Podcast. And that listener is. Thunder roll, please! Chad in Wheaton. Chad writes A great outlet for creative new writers. I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning. And I love it. You get a nice blend of original stories from new writers, and also new takes on some classics. Good narrators, storytellers, and audio production make the stories entertaining and moody. Not every story is going to appeal to everybody, but they do a great job of mixing it up. Highly recommended. Chad, on behalf of the Simply Scary cast and crew, We'd like to thank you for taking the time to write that review for us, and I want to encourage you all to do what Chad did. Recommend. Share us with everyone you know. It's extremely encouraging to receive these comments, and know that you are sharing us as we strive to make a more frightening experience for you all. So, keep the comments coming, Chad, we need you to take a screenshot of your iTunes account page with a review and screen name and email it to us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com to claim your prize. And to all other fans that took the time to write us a review, don't worry. Your time will come, if you keep listening. This is GM Danielson, thanking you For joining us for this episode. Remember, listeners, at any time, there are thousands of creatures surrounding you. You just don't know it. Creeping ants, fluttering moths, crawling rats, and other household critters are the least of your worries. Can't you just feel those crawling eyes staring you down, just waiting for the perfect time to attack but we will see you next time when we once again show you that there is nothing simple about being scared unless of course it is the Simply Scary Podcast
3: This is executive producer Jesse Cornett if you like what you hear be sure to check out more from these authors at simply podcast.com there you can find all information regarding the show and the stories appearing here in our podcast the simply scary podcast is a production of chilling entertainment the showcase is written by jesse cornett and dustin koski and produced by jesse cornett the host of the simply scary podcast is gm danielson original music during the show by jesse cornett this broadcast was directed and created by craig groshek Be sure to look for the Simply Scary Podcast on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Comments or questions, email us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and check our website for more information. While you're there, consider clicking on the Patrons link at the top of the page to help support our show. Copyright Chilling Entertainment, LLC 2016. Thanks for listening.